front of the student ministers uh, at uh, five o'clock. And um, <clears throat> tonight we come to the uh, fourth in a series on Jesus Talks Tough. And uh, our topic for tonight is the Bible, or Scripture uh, and authority, or rather the Bible in its authority. And um, I want to say right up front, it's not an easy issue. Uh, it's um, something. It's a topic where there's a lot at stake. It's foundational. And uh, we're going to definitely need God's help, so why don't I speak to him on our behalf. Father, please enable us to hear you with attentive minds and humble hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, There's a story, you may have heard it, uh, that was going around the internet a few years ago about a radio conversation that took place, uh, supposedly, off the coast of uh, Canada. And it went something like this. The US ship says this, Please divert your course 0.5 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Radio reply, negative. Recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. US ship, this is the captain of a US Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Radio reply, no, I say divert your course. US ship, this is the aircraft carrier USS Coral Sea. We are a large warship of the US Navy. We have aircraft and submarines and destroyers and missiles on standby. Divert your course now. Radio reply, uh, this is a lighthouse. Your call. <laughs> now, we kind of laughed at me um, and we kind of think, oh my goodness, how can anyone be that self-assertive? But we all know when we're honest... We can sometimes be a little bit like that. Uh, you know, when someone forces us to adjust the way we live, uh, we, we can be a little bit reluctant. Two examples. Uh, you know, when the parents say, where do you think you're going dressed like that? We don't, we don't quite like it. When, when the boss says, uh, no, I think we're going to do things my way, thank you very much. Uh, we, don't, we don't like it. We have to adjust. And I think that's exactly why the authority of the Bible is such a hot topic today. You may have noticed in the last few years there's been an explosion of books and seminars and conventions and documentaries and articles in the paper about the Bible's authority. Liberal scholars like the Jesus Seminar uh, say history contradicts it. Atheist uh, scientists like Stephen Hawking say science disproves it. Uh, Social interest groups say culture outdates it. And sometimes even our hearts seriously doubt it. So, what's going on? What's, what's the issue? Well, it's this. If we say the Bible is just a book of moral instruction, if it has, in other words, limited authority, it means you can pick and choose the bits you like. But if the Bible is what it says it is, if it really is the written word of the living God, then it has the absolute authority to tell us what to believe and how to behave. And if that's true, then the Bible doesn't adjust to you. You adjust to the Bible. That's the point Jesus makes in our passage. Uh, And we're going to look at the Bible's teaching about itself and about its authority under three headings. Here they are. First, accept the Bible's authority. Second, adjust to the Bible's purpose. And third, adore the person at the Bible's centre. Now, if you're taking notes, uh, there'll be our three headings. So, accept the Bible's authority, adjust to its purpose, adore the person at its centre. There will three A's to help you remember them. Accept, adjust, adore. 
So first of all, uh, accept the Bible's authority. Uh, now, if you conducted an opinion poll uh, about Jesus' life, I'm pretty sure the time when he'd get the highest approval rating is when he's baby Jesus. I don't know if you've seen Talladega Nights, but there's a very funny scene in, in that, talking about baby Jesus, because everyone loves baby Jesus. Uh, he's cute. He's all about gifts. He's all about giggles, isn't he? And uh, that's, I think, the Jesus of the Hallmark Christmas cards. Not so the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is constantly coming into conflict. Uh, In our passage tonight, Mark chapter 7, it would be great if you could have it open, page 712, Mark chapter 7, Jesus comes into conflict with the religious authorities of his day. Look at me at verse 1. Jesus comes head to head with the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Just a bit of a summary. Uh, They come to criticise Jesus, verses 1 to 5, Jesus' response is absolutely scathing, verses 6 to 13. And the heart of the issue is right there in verse 8. If you can see that, Jesus says to the religious leaders, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. So there's a dichotomy. What's Jesus talking about? Well, in Jesus' day, the Jews believed uh, there were two written codes that told them how to live. Uh, First, there was the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, That's what Jesus means when he talks there in verse 8 about the commands of God. Uh, That's what we call uh, the Old Testament. Uh, Or verse 13, the Word of God, he says. And second, uh, on the other hand, there were the traditions of men. Again, verse 8 and elsewhere. But also verse 3, Jesus calls it the tradition of the elders. That dichotomy. So how were they different? Well, um, as I said, the Hebrew Scriptures are what we call the Old Testament uh, and in them God gives a bunch of laws. Uh, For example, the Hebrew Scriptures said you need to worship God. Uh, They said you need to rest on the Sabbath. Uh, They said you need to observe the Passover and a whole bunch of other things. uh, But the Jewish leaders of uh, Jesus' day, um, by that stage, uh, had sat around wondering, what do all the commands mean? What What does it mean to rest on the Sabbath? What does it mean to worship God? Uh, And so, if you like, they invented lists. They invented rules and regulations uh, that tried to clarify God's commands. Uh, And their rules and regulations, as Jesus says, came to be known as the tradition of the elders. So that's what we're talking about. Now, at this point, it's important to point out that Jesus doesn't oppose tradition by itself. Our church has many good traditions. We meet at a certain time every week and we do certain things in the service. Tradition is not bad by itself, it's often a good thing. However, Jesus is opposed uh, to when the authority of tradition either rivals or replaces uh, the authority of the Bible. And that's the problem here. Uh, By Jesus' day, the tradition of the elders had come to have equal status with God's commands. And in some cases, it it didn't help obedience, it hindered it. Uh, it, In some cases, it didn't clarify God's commands, it contradicted them. And Jesus gives an example. Look at me at verse 10. Uh, Jesus is talking about, Moses says, honour your father and mother. Now that's a command from God given through Moses. But along comes the tradition of the elders and it says, uh, you can take a piece of property, you can take an ox or a field and offer it to God. Uh, You say the property was offered, it was Corban. 
And if a parent uh, comes along and says, oh, look, we've come into some financial trouble, can you help us out? Uh, you know, the son would, might say, oh, look, I'd love to give you my ox, I'd love to give you my field, but they've been offered. Uh, you know, they're Corbin. I still have possession of them, but they've, they've been offered to God. And that's what, that's what really angered uh, Jesus. Uh, you see, tradition was supposed to help people obey the command to worship God, but here it was contradicting another command from God, that is, to honour your mother and father. So you see how tradition here comes into conflict with the word of God, and it, the problem is it has equal status. Jesus is angry. Look at verse 13. He says to them, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition, and you do many things like that. Now, what makes this passage so frightening, uh, at least to me, is that the Jewish leaders uh, actually were sincere. I think we need to assume that they were sincere in their worship. They genuinely intended to honour God uh, when they invented their traditions. But look at verse 6. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29 and he says, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now, are we beginning to see the depth of the problem? What Jesus is saying is is quite profound, it's quite absolute. He's saying the authority of the Bible is absolute. He's saying it's unique, nothing can rival it, nothing can replace it. It doesn't matter how sincere you are, um, you see the, the authority of the Bible goes hand in hand with the authority of God. And what's at stake here is not simply the authority of the word, but in addition, what is at stake is the authenticity of worship. What Jesus is saying is if you fail to accept the Bible's authority, if you fail to do what it says, to obey it, then you fail to worship God as he wants. Now let me give you an example of something like that. Um, it's a bit like, imagine you get a letter uh, in the mail and it's a letter from the Office of State Revenue. It says your car was caught speeding. Uh, all the details are correct and therefore it says you have to pay a hefty fine. Now, if you received a letter like that, how would you respond? Well, of course, on the one hand, you can accept its authority, you can obey it, you can pay the fine. Done and dusted. But, on the other hand, maybe you could question its authority. You know, Maybe you'd say, uh, I can't trust the letter, it was written so long ago. Um, or maybe you could say, look, I'm not even sure I believe in the Office of State Revenue. Uh, Maybe you could say, oh, look, I like the bit where it says I own a car, but I don't like the bit where it says I have to pay a fine, so I'm going to reject that bit. It doesn't work for my lifestyle. Uh, or maybe you could say, oh, I like to think of the letter about as a story, you know, a story about a government department that loves. You could say those things, um, and, but I can gather from the laughs that um, treating the letter like that would be just ridiculous. But friends, um, you may have seen the parallel. Uh, that's how many of our society, many people in our society, to, to a certain extent, to a large or small extent, uh, that's how they treat the Bible. Now, I wonder, I want to put it to you, I wonder if that's how you, even to a small extent, treat the Bible. I want you to ask yourself that question. Um, maybe you say science contradicts the Bible. Maybe you say history disproves the bits of the Bible I don't like. Uh, maybe say culture outdates the bits of the Bible I don't want to listen to. 
Maybe you say, look, today I don't really feel like worshipping God, how the Bible says. I want to worship him how I feel like. Now, if, if that's you, if you're only accepting the bits of the Bible you like, or even worse, if you're not reading the Bible, Jesus is pleading with you to see what you're doing uh, there is elevating the authority of something else, uh, the authority from man, uh, whether it's science, culture, etc., uh, you're elevating that above the authority of the word of God. Jesus says if you reject the Bible, if you reject any part of it, uh, you're not only rejecting the authority of the Bible, you're rejecting the authority of God himself. And going further, if, God, that, if the God that you worship never contradicts you, you're not worshipping the self-revealing, self-defining God of glory. If he never contradicts you, you he always agrees with you, you're worshipping a God you've made up, I dare say. Jesus lovingly pushes you, pushes you to see that. Now, at this point, a question always comes up. Okay, then, uh, how do we know the Bible is authoritative? Uh, well, um, here's a starting point. Uh, it's really important that we understand that what Richard Dawkins and others, the God, who wrote The God Delusion, says um, isn't true. The reason and science and history do not disprove, do not conclusively disprove uh, or contradict the Bible. Uh, there are many good scientists you can go to who will tell you uh, that there is more evidence, for example, for creation than there is uh, for random chance. Uh, many historians will tell you that the Bible is one of the most reliable documents we have uh, from the ancient world. Um, and we could talk a bit more about that, but to be honest, uh, those things do not defend the Bible. They don't authorise the Bible. Uh, as one of the great um, preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said, defend the Bible, I'd as sooner defend a lion. And, um, and of course what he's saying there is the Bible defends itself. Uh, it says it is the written word of God and so therefore we should believe it. We should believe it because it says so. Now, if you're clever, uh, you may have noticed I'm pulling on you a circular argument. Uh, I'm saying believe the Bible because it says so. Now, uh, but think about this for a moment. It has to be circular. If The alternative is, if you say that tradition or science or history or culture or your feelings authorise the Bible, uh, then you're saying those things are higher than God. In fact, you're saying those things are God and the real God ceases to be God by definition. In other words, if God exists by definition, he has to be the highest authority and therefore what he says has to be the highest authority and therefore the Bible has to authorise itself. Do you follow the logic? The only way you can know the Bible is God's word is because it says so. Now it is important, you know, if you, it's good to do the uh, faith and reason and science. They do not contradict uh, and in fact I, I believe they strongly support but they don't uh, defend the Bible's authority. The Bible says accept the absolute authority of the Bible. Accept it simply out of faith. Accept it because God says so. That brings us to our second point. The second point is adjust to the Bible's purpose. Now, uh, like the captain of the US ship in our opening story, uh, it's no good if we just accept uh, the authority, uh, in his case, of the lighthouse. Uh, it's no good if we just accept the authority of the Bible in our case. We need to adjust the course of our lives. We need to adjust not only to the Bible's teaching but adjust to the Bible's purpose. And what exactly do I mean? Well, you see, the Bible teaches us to obey. 
And that's because the Bible's purpose is to help us grow in love for God. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. Jesus says, that is Isaiah says, God doesn't want vain worship. He doesn't want us to merely pay him lip service. God doesn't just want our obedience. Are you hearing that clearly? He doesn't just want our obedience. He wants our hearts. There in verse 6, their hearts are far from me. He wants our hearts. Now, um, the best illustration of this is in Exodus. Um, God rescued the nation of Israel out of slavery, you may recall. Uh, And um, chapter 19, he brings them to Mount Sinai. He says, he doesn't say, I saved you because you obeyed. He says this, uh, chapter 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, I hope you caught the order. Uh, God saves the Israelites and then he gives them the law. Then he gives them the Ten Commandments. God says to the Israelites, obey me not to earn me. Obey me because you have me. Obey me so that you can be my treasured possession. And I want to say it's the same for us. The Bible says it's the same for us. If you're a Christian, you have a relationship with the living God. Isn't that wonderful? If you're a Christian, you have all the riches of the king of the universe. And we mustn't take that for granted. But why do we have that? It's not because you are more obedient or more special than anyone else. We looked at that last week. It's because of God's grace. It's because of his sheer unmerited grace. And what that means is that the purpose of obeying the Bible is not to get God, if you're a Christian. It's to grow in love for God. That's why Jesus says, John chapter 14, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And I think it's crucial we get that distinction. Obedience doesn't earn our relationship, it helps our relationship grow. And uh, it's a bit like when you're in love with someone. Um, you You think about them all the time, you delight to please them, you want to know what offends them so you can avoid it. Uh, You want to know what they love so you can give it. Talking best case scenario here, people. Um, And uh, I dare say you begin to conform your life to theirs. Uh, In a healthy relationship you do. You adjust, as it were, your will to theirs. You adjust your life to theirs. You obey them not to earn the relationship but to help it grow. That's what it's like with God. And uh, we find this so hard to believe and put into practice. I think we're hardwired uh, that to think somehow if we obey God, he'll owe us. I do this all the time for a more college exam. You know, I'm not going to make sure I read my Bible because that way that's the only reason he'll bless me in my exam. Um, and I want you to ask yourself uh, the same question. Why do you obey? Why do you serve here at church? Now, we're always going to have, um, I think to a large extent, uh, mixed motives, but um, God is calling us to be pure. I want to ask, is it because, why do you serve, why do you obey, is it because you've been swept off your feet by the beauty of the holiness of the God of glory revealed to us in Jesus? Or is it even just a little bit because you think that if you obey God, uh, God is going to give you the things you want? 
Or actually maybe someone else through your serving is going to give you something you want. Well, if that's you, Jesus is pleading with you. You're not obeying God to get God. You are obeying him to get his stuff, to get God's blessings. And the Bible says, adjust to the Bible's purpose. Give God your heart, not just your obedience. That's the purpose of the Bible, to help us obey with our hearts, to help us obey wholeheartedly. But the question now is, how do we do that? How do we love God with all our hearts? And the Bible's answer is, all through the page of the Bible, by adoring the person at the Bible's centre. That's our third and final point. Adore the person at the Bible's centre. Now, a lot of people these days, you may have experienced this, but a lot of people these days say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Bible. Now, that's a contradiction, you see, because the real Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, lives and breathes the Bible. It's always on his mind, it's always in his actions, it's always on his heart. I can give you good examples, but we don't have time to go into it now. The Bible is at the very centre of Jesus, and here's why. Because Jesus is at the very centre of the Bible. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus explains his whole life and ministry. He says to two disciples this, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. hope you didn't miss that. All the scriptures are about Jesus. Old and New Testament. Jesus is at the centre of the whole Bible. He's at the centre of every command, every promise, every story. And when you adore the person at the centre, when you adore Jesus, when you are swept off uh, your feet uh, in love for God, in in Jesus who reveals the Father perfectly by the Holy Spirit, it's then that you'll wholeheartedly obey God as he tells you to. Now, I'm mindful this is a little bit like the Matrix. I can't just tell you, remember in the line, I can't just tell you what it's like. I actually have to show you. And we're going to do that now. Genesis 22. Uh, you may like to look it up. Um, actually, lost the page. Here we go. Genesis chapter 22. It's there on page 14 and 15. Don't feel like you have to look it up. Genesis 22. God says to Abraham... Take your son, your only son, the one you love. Go and sacrifice him on the mountain. Now, as you know, Abraham at this stage was over 100 years old, around that age, and he'd waited all his life to have a son. All his hopes and dreams were pinned on having a son. Indeed, God's blessings were pinned on him having a son. There was nothing more valuable to Abraham than his son. Nothing more, that is, except God. So Abraham goes. He takes his son Isaac to the mountain and as he draws his blade, you can almost just imagine the tears streaming down his face. But then God steps in and God provides a ram, a substitute sacrifice. Okay, that's the story. What's it actually saying? Well, if Abraham is at the centre... The story says, look at Abraham's faith. 
He was willing to sacrifice his greatest treasure for God and you should be like Abraham. You should be prepared to sacrifice your house and your money and your job if those things hinder your faith in God. And if that's all the story says, you're going to be crushed. If Abraham is at the centre, you'll say, I could never be like that. But if Jesus is at the centre, you will be transformed to the extent you see him at the centre. You see, Jesus Jesus is the one and only beloved son of the Father. But unlike, Jesus, unlike Isaac, Jesus didn't go reluctantly and at the risk of his life. He went willingly and at the cost of his life. Jesus is the substitute sacrifice for us. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died to bring us the riches of the Father's love, not because we earned it, but because of God's sheer unmerited grace poured out towards us. And when you see that, indeed to the extent you see that, by the Holy Spirit, when you see how much God loves you because of Jesus, you'll know he'll never call you to sacrifice more than you can afford. He'll never call you to suffer more than you can bear. The word of God promises that. God has given you a present worth more than the value of the universe. He is not going to go stingy on the wrapping paper of this life. So it's because of Jesus you can have faith, like Abraham, to live the life God calls you to live. Jesus, friends, is the true and better Abraham. But more than that, he's the true and better David. He's the true and better Moses. He's the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king. He fulfills all the commands of the law and the prophets. On the cross, Jesus received all the law's curses that we deserved so that we could get all the law's blessings that he deserved. Jesus is the person at the Bible centre. And as I've been saying, when you see that and to the extent that you see that, all the Bible is about Jesus, about what God has graciously done for us, you'll be transformed. I really mean that. You'll stop at nothing to get closer to God. You'll delight in nothing more than to read the Bible. You'll see the Bible as a window to the glory of the majesty of the beauty of the living God. You'll listen to him, you'll obey him and you will grow in love for him. So I want to plead with you, accept the Bible's authority but don't stop there. Adjust to its purpose. Obey it but see what it's on about. And that is adore the person at its centre. Do those things and you'll see that ultimately the Bible is not a rule book for moral instruction, rather it's a love letter from God. It's a love letter. It'll tell you the depths and riches of God's love for you. It'll help you grow in love for him. And it's then you'll be able to say with the psalmist, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counsellors. Let me pray. Father, open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we may see wonderful things in your word. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.